Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Um, this morning we're going to be continuing our look at Ephesians, probably getting well acquainted with these verses since this is the third week that we've looked at this week. Um, this week uh, we were going to look at what it means to be without blame and holy before God. So, before we continue too much further, let's pray. Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your love and your mercy. Father, we thank you so much for your ways. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the guidance that you give us, your commandments, your statutes, and, and uh, just the things that uh, you've asked us to do. Um, we just thank you so much for um, just the, the love behind what you do. We thank you so much for the love of your son and um, the power of your spirit, Lord. We just thank you so much for your army of saints and one another here. Pray that they may be encouraged as I am encouraged by you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, as I mentioned. And we're going to specifically be looking at the fact that this phrase here says that well, I'll just read the whole thing. Blessed be the God and Father of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So it is a big mouthful, and as we look at that, we see that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and it's for one reason and one reason only. God wants us to be holy, and so God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy before him. So all the blessings that we receive, not only here on earth, but in heaven, Everything that has been ordained by God on our behalf is so that we can be holy just like he is holy. And oftentimes as Christians, we forget that. We forget that we're called to be holy, that we're called to be separated or consecrated before the Lord to live a different way. We're going to be looking at some scriptures this morning that not only speak about the blessings that we have in Christ, but our call to holiness, as well as what it means to be blameless. So um, it's very important that we look at these things because oftentimes we can go through the process of church, we can go through the motions of church, even life, and neglect the fact that we're called to be holy, that we're called to live a certain way, that we're called to separate ourselves from evil works. And if you looked at the psalm this morning, Psalm 101 had some harsh language in it, like no one's going to be allowed in my house that does certain things, that I'm not going to tolerate certain things, that I'm actually, what it says, I'm going to put away the evil works of people. These are very harsh words. The language is very harsh. But when you look at what it means to be called unto holiness, this is actually what it means. That you're going to be the type of person who walks with integrity that is not going to stand up 
or rather you're going to stand up against holiness. You're not going to stand for it. You're not going to put up with it, and, and you're going to walk blameless before God. And that's tough to do because when people do things that are contrary to God's word, it's really tough sometimes to ruffle those feathers because you know what's going to happen. People will ask me, well, Pastor, why are you the way you are with people who leave the church? Well, what did it say in Psalm 101 about people who fall away? People fall away for certain reasons. And if there's no sin in the church to fall away from, then you're obviously falling away from the church for selfish reasons. And if you're falling away from the church for selfish reasons, that's wickedness in somebody's heart. They're basically putting themselves up against the rest of the community, the rest of the congregation, the rest of the assembly. And if everybody was to do that and everybody was to live for themselves, where would we be today? Well, you see the world outside and how it's behaving and how everybody lives for themselves. It's a dog-eat-dog world. In order for somebody to be elevated, somebody has to be put down and stepped upon. In Scripture, we treat people with respect and dignity. We live at peace with all people. But we, we honor God's Word by caring for those who are in need, those who need help in any way. And it doesn't just have to be visual. A lot of people are hurting inside. They have hurt. They have loss. They have darkness, depression, loneliness. Then all these things that you can't even see, people are hurting. And we know that there are health ailments. People are hurting physically. You know, people need healing. And we know that there's always a financial need. None of us are here are so rich that we can't use a helping hand at some point. And as a church, that's what we're called to do. We even that playing field so that we can all live equally under God. And so we're going to look at what that means because there's this word holy and it's not talked about enough in the church. But before we get to holy, let's talk about our spiritual blessings. So if you have your Bibles open, let's look at point number one, blessed with all spiritual blessings. First, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter one verse 3 through 4, which is our scripture today. And we see that the, the Lord has blessed us with all spiritual blessings before the foundation of the world. So these, these blessings were given to God's children before we were created, before the world was created, before animals, plants, anything was created, before the earth was anything recognizable. And in the Bible, it says in Genesis 1-1 that the earth was a big mass. Well, God shaped that mass. It's much like he shapes us for his purposes. Well, before that even happened, God had blessed his children already. He armed us and empowered us with his ordinances and his ways so that we could be holy. One thing as a Christian you may start to realize that it is impossible on our own power to do the things that God has asked us to do. It's impossible to resist the flesh 
on our own power. We become weak. Our mind overtakes us. Our physical ailments overpower us. The world and all the things that it offers can weigh at us and attack us. And our lust can rise up. We desire things outside of God's spiritual realm. We want more power. We want a bigger house. We want a better car. We want all these things that wealth can afford. We want to take four vacations a year and, and have the all-inclusive on the Sandals Beach or wherever. We, we want this life of luxury. There's one word that's kind of vacant in, in, um, in Scripture. And that's the word vacation. <laughs> you don't see vacation in Scripture. At least I haven't seen it yet. Um, and, and we desire these things, especially as Americans. Uh, America has created this economy, if you will. And it's all based on plastic. Oh, I don't have the money for it? I'll just charge it. I'll, I'll pay as I go. And, and it's really easy to fall into that trap. We do it with our cars. We do it with our houses. Those things, when we do it with our cars and our houses, we have collateral. If we don't pay, they take our car away. Where we really get in trouble is when we start charging for clothes and when we start charging for groceries and we start charging for things that we don't need. Because what happens if we can't pay, we just go in debt. There's nothing to take away except for your credit report. Well, if you don't have your own word, you're in trouble. So in order to prevent us from relying on the world and its evil economies, God himself says, I'm going to equip my children. I'm going to empower them with everything that they need so that they don't need anything other than me. And that's God. We don't need anything other than God. So he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The word all means that he left out nothing. That we have everything at our disposal. But it doesn't stop there. Because even as we think about all the things that are in heaven, and all the things that have been given to us as the children of God, God did not stop there. Let's look at 2 Peter. In 2 Peter it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he grant, has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's given us every spiritual blessing. It says here that everything that pertains to life and everything that pertains to godliness. That's everything. So he has given us this. He's given us divine power, has granted us all things that pertain to these matters so that we're not left without knowledge, so that we're not left out on our own. And he, why does he say this? So that we can escape the corruption of this world. 
because of sinful desire. Well, he has empowered us with these things, as I mentioned, so that we don't go after the world and its darkness. Because if we're left to our own devices to survive, you would be scared to see what humans will resort to to meet their needs, to get what they want, to meet their desires that they feel are needed in their own minds. We've seen people stoop to the lowest levels to overcome other people. We've seen people stoop to the lowest levels to put people away, whether it be in permanent extinction or just in oppression. We've seen people do some really bad things to other people just so they can have power. But even when people don't desire power and they just go into survival mode, we see people resort to stealing and lying and doing things that they know are contrary to what God has taught. They will resort to these things. That's our own carnal nature in our flesh. That when we go into desire or survival mode, I'm sorry, when we go into survival mode, it's ourselves first. We put ourselves first above everybody because now we're in survival mode. We have to survive. So in order to avoid this type of sinful behavior, God has empowered us. He's given us everything in heaven. And then on earth, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now, in addition to both those things, if we look at Acts 1.8, we see that God has given us his spirit. In Acts 1.8, it, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, at Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So in addition to giving us all spiritual blessings in heaven, and giving us everything that pertains to life and godliness here on earth, God has given us his own spirit. The spirit of God. When we think about all the things that God was able to do through his own spirit, create the world, create the universe, Raise Jesus from the dead. Give sight to the blind. Feed thousands of people. All this by the Spirit of God. And this is his gift to us. So that we're not left wanting. Think of all the things that you need in life. Well, if we've been given everything that we need and you don't have what you need, what's missing? Well, Scripture tells us that Everything that we need has been given to us and is at our disposal. But if we don't have what we need, what's missing? James says, well, you haven't asked for it. You have to ask for it. And as I go through the day and I survey my own day, I feel guilty of all the things that I fail to ask God for, that I just absolutely rush into thinking that, oh, I've got this covered. But think about how much more power and how much more impact our day would have, not only on our own lives, but onto the kingdom and onto the lost, if we were to include God that much more in everything that we did. Even the things that we've done over and over again. Ask God. 
And one of the things that um, in my prayer time that I'm convicted to, to ask God for are some of the simple things in life that we tend to take for granted, especially as they pertain to my children. And so I get to the point where I'm trying to incorporate more and more the things that I can't think of or fail to think of, which is really hard. But some of the things that, you know, um, we take for granted. So let me use this example. And I know my wife does this, and I'm trying to do this more, is pray that my children find godly spouses. That my children are attracted to God and his word throughout life. I don't want to take these things for granted because I know even as we sit here, Satan is tugging at them and pulling them away. And he's trying to get them to fall away from God and not trust in him so much or put him on the back burner or take him even lighter than in less seriousness, if you will. So we see that there's this war going on. And as we go through it, we need to be conscious of it. And how do we fight back? We pray. God has given us his spirit. He's armed us. He's given us prayer. And as we put all these things into action, blessings happen. We overcome the world, so to speak. So why does he do all these things? He's given us everything, spiritual blessings in heaven, all things that pertain to life and godliness here on earth. And the Holy Spirit, for one reason, so that we can be holy and without blame before him. God wants holy children. He doesn't want us comfortable. We start to be stagnant and we're comfortable. What's going to happen is that we forget to be holy. If we look at Jesus' life through much suffering and much trials and much experience, his holiness was allowed to shine and overcome darkness. Well, we as God's children likewise have been put into this world to fight darkness. We are the salt. We are to fight the evils that go on by showing the world goodness through God. And as we allow that to shine through us through God's spirit and the things that we do by serving God and glorifying God, we overcome the world. As people see this, people are attracted to it. And as they're attracted to it, they realize that not only is God holy, but so are his children. Which brings us up to point number two. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament and look at Leviticus. Well, the first thing we see in 19 is the Lord is holy. But in 2022, he takes that a step further and he says, If the Lord is holy, my people too shall be holy. What does that mean? It means that you're separated unto God. You're all of humanity, right? And God says, I will take a portion of humanity slice it, separate it, and bless this portion, and they will be holy. And that happens two ways. Because we can't be holy on our own. 
So how do we become holy? Well, the scripture tells us in Samuel. We'll get there in a second. But in Leviticus 27, it says, it says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It says, Keep my statutes and do them. When you keep God's word and you walk in his ways, you are holy. When you do things contrary to his word and contrary to his ways, you're unholy. There's no middle ground. There's no semi-holy. Uh, there's like on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm holy, and the other days I'm not holy. You're either holy or you're not. It doesn't change from day to day based on what you decide to do. Either in your heart you're determined to honor God and walk in his ways and be holy, or you're not. It seems easy, but it's not quite that easy. There's something going on in the individual, and we'll get to that in a second. But God has called us to be holy. He's called us to separate ourselves and separate ourselves from the world and not be like the world. And back in the Old Testament, he told Israel, do not be like the other nations. Do not do what the other nations do. And as, he, as the Israelites were going through the Middle East, some of the other nations did really bad things, like child sacrifice. God said, that's a no-no. You don't sacrifice your children. You know, they did other things like prostitution or, you know, sexual immorality and things of that nature. God's like, no, you don't behave that way. You don't eat these things. You don't talk this way. You don't dress this way. If you're separated unto God, that means you are separated inside and out. And that you're not only a person who can be looked on and be considered righteous or blameless, but that you're looked upon and you're seen as pure, pure of heart and pure in action. In Leviticus 20.26, 20, what does it say? It says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. You have been separated from the peoples and have been given to God. God has called you his own. But that means that we conduct ourselves as we've been talking in a certain way. That we live by God's statutes and commandments. But it, as we continue, we see that... Um, we're asked to be holy in all our conduct. Not only have we been separated, but in 1 Peter, when we go back to the New Testament, 1 Peter tells us to be holy in all our conduct. In chapter 1, 15 and 16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That we've been called to be pure. That we've been called to be sinless. As we go through life, I don't want us to be so fixated on the big sins. Because the big sins are easy to avoid. It's really easy to avoid killing somebody. It's really easy to avoid committing adultery, if you will. Where Satan tends to get... His, uh, God's children is in the small stuff. 
the things that we look at, the things that we hear every day, the things that we entertain ourselves with. These are the things that trap us. They slowly pull us away from God and serving him, and they get us fixated and put our attention on something that's unhealthy. So we can think of all the times where we tend to spend our most money or our most time. We look at those things first. They're, they're not necessarily bad, but those things tend to eat up most of our resources. And we need to look at those things and say, how am I spending my time? Are things that are unpleasing to God coming into my ears? And am I entertaining them when I'm hearing them? Am I playing on them when I hear them? Somebody saying something bad to me that I know that God doesn't like, and then I play along. I start talking about it. That's bad news. The next area is the things that we see. Scripture tells us that the eye is a lamp unto the body, that whatever we feed our eyes with, good or bad, will turn our bodies good or bad. A great example is pornography. If you're looking at pornography and you're lusting after things that you know you should not be looking at, that is a lamp unto your body. Those images and thoughts go into your head and they stay there. And then they fight your brain for attention in God's kingdom. These are things that could easily come in. Of course, pornography is more likely to attack men than women, but those numbers are quickly changing. Another area is, again, the, the want. We look into the world and the, the whole novelty of keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, so-and-so got a nice car. Oh, I think I need a nice car. Instead of living for practicality, there's nothing wrong with getting a new car as long as we're getting it out of need. And we're being good stewards of it. I see a lot of people every year, they're getting a new car. Well, I just leased that one for a year. And then they go and they get another one. And then they get another one. And they get another one. And they're constantly spending money on material things. Instead of investing for tomorrow. And doing something good with their, their resources. So God wants us to be holy in all our conduct. If we think about the Ten Commandments and we walk in those statutes, we can stay out of a lot of trouble. As we're going through life, we're going to be tempted to do things that are unholy. Remember that God wants us holy. As long as we walk in God's holiness, we will re remain pleasing to God. Last, in Hebrews, this is important because we can't diminish the whole concept of holiness just because we think it's unattainable. In Hebrews 12, verse 14, it tells us, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Scripture is telling us that if we are God's children, He expects us to be holy. If we think that we can be God's child, and remain unholy and keep playing with these deep, dark sins that we like to play with, at the end of the day, we're going to be surprised when God says, I'm sorry, but I did not know you. You did not live for holiness. You lived for yourself. 
This is a trap. We have to ask ourselves, who are we living for? We have a couple of examples. Let's look at um, Genesis 6-9. Because it's not impossible to do these things. It really just depends on our heart and allowing God to work in us as he has promised to do. In 6-9 it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. That's important. If you're reading that here this morning, in order to be righteous and blameless, you must walk with God. And everything that you do, God has to be a part of it. It can't be, as I mentioned before, some days out of the week I'm ungodly and other days unworldly. Because if that's the case, then you're always worldly. You can't just turn God on and off. So Noah walked with God. How do you walk with God? Well, you walk by the Spirit. God has given us his Spirit so that we can walk with him. If Noah was able to do it without the Spirit by just simply trusting in God, how much more can we do it as God's children who have the Spirit? Think about that. God has empowered us with everything so that we are without excuse. The next thing we see is Job. Job was the same way. In Job 1.1 it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There's something about the character and composition of these men. And God has given us his spirit so that we can be just like Noah, that we can be just like Job, that we can be just like Abraham, that we can be upright and righteous before God by walking in his commandments and statutes. What does that mean? Well, it means that you love God with all your heart and that with all your heart you're willing to please God. And that if the choice comes up, the world or God, God is always number one. Always number one. Because at the end of the day, each one of us are human. We will even fail our own selves, but God will never fail us. God is 100% faithful to us. You think about all the times in your life where you even betrayed yourself, where you, where you did something and now you, re, you regret it, where you've done something and you knew that at the time, well, I had to do this, and now later you look back and you're like, I didn't have to do that. If I had just trusted in God, things would have been different. Each one of us has regrets in life. Well, God has empowered us with his spirit with his holiness, so that we can be without blame and without regret. We walk in God's statutes, we walk in his ways, we don't have to live in regret. In Genesis 17:1, God himself commands Abraham to be blameless. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That is powerful. Walk before me and be blameless. And he says that I may make my covenant between me and you 
and may multiply you greatly. Whether you realize it or not, God didn't just make a general covenant with people, but he made a specific covenant with each one of us, an agreement that says, I will be your God if you will be my child. If you will walk before me and be blameless, I will be your God. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And I will bless you greatly. And the same promises for Abraham are the same promises for each one of us. But we, in our own hearts, in our own minds, have to make the self-decision to align ourselves with God and go for it. We can't just sit here on a free ride and on autopilot and just let God take over. It doesn't work like that. I was reading in the newspaper this morning, another Tesla has crashed into another car. Here we go, second week in a row I'm talking about Elon Musk, and I have no idea why other than he just makes himself a target. But when you put yourself on autopilot, you're going to crash into things all day long. You can't put yourself on autopilot. God says, walk before me. But too many of us are in the world walking without any kind of intelligible thought towards what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week or for what's going to happen to their souls. What's going to happen to their lives when their plan comes to its end? So we have to answer to a holy God. And God has asked us to live a certain way. And that's why if we look at the scripture, it doesn't take Paul too long before getting into Ephesians where he starts hitting the Ephesians home by saying, look, you need to be holy and blameless. This is why God is doing the things that he is doing. Not so that you could be comfortable and rich. No. He wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to be holy. One of the things that I was reading last night and this morning is, what are the ways that God does this? Through experience and experience alone. See, we come here to church to worship, but the world is God's classroom. When we leave here, we're only here for two hours a week. But when we leave here, the rest of the week, we're asked to walk with God in his classroom. We open up the textbook, which is the Bible, and every day God is going to use our experiences to make us holy, to make us more faithful, and to make us more like him. What does that mean? That means every day we can count on trials, tests, and tribulations. How fun is that? It's not very fun. But we know that the process is making us like Christ. And at the end of the day, when it comes time to go home and to be with God, he can look at us and say, well done, my faithful servant. Instead of going, I did not know you. You can put in a little bit of work here and receive a lot of blessing later. Or you can have your fun here and experience a lot of pain and torture later. It all depends on how we want to look at what God is doing. So we know that we've been commanded to walk with God and to be blameless. It also says that in Deuteronomy 18.13. But this is the important thing. 
Even back in the Old Testament, as we look at 2 Samuel, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 33, This God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way blameless. As Christians, we've come to understand that only Christ can make us blameless. Only Christ can make us righteous. And in our own power, we're helpless. We're powerless to do anything. We can't even kill sin. We can kill a cockroach, but sin will keep coming back until we kill it by the blood of Christ. When we kill sin, we put Christ on our hearts, and we ask God to fill us with his spirit, and then we walk with him righteously, blamelessly, because we've said, God, your ways are higher than my ways, and I'm going to live by your word. What your word says to do, I'm going to do. What's contrary to do it, I'm going to stay away. Just think about how Psalm 101, think about the attitude of that person. Well, they say that the Psalms are basically written from a standpoint, if you were to put Christ as the character, that Christ is the one who is essentially saying these things. Well, they may be written by David and a few others, Moses and whatnot. They're really written from the heart and the standpoint of Jesus Christ. We think about that, then it puts everything in a different light. Of course Christ can put away evil. That's what we want him to do. We wouldn't expect our Savior to, to dwell with liars. When you start putting it that way, it makes sense. Now, when you start thinking about how God wants us to be just like Jesus, well, now your attitude is just like that of Psalm 101. And it doesn't mean that you hate people. It just means that you live with conviction, that you're not going to tolerate these evil things as they pertain to your own house. As they pertain to your own life, you're not going to allow these things to overtake you and to control you. So we live without blame. And we know that that's only possible through God. God is the one who makes us righteous. And we know that that's possible through Christ. But it has always been that way in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The biggest mistake that they made in the Old Testament was thinking that the, the law could save them. That the law could save them. Well, what's the danger here today in the New Testament? In the New Testament, the danger is, is that as long as we have an acknowledging belief in Christ, that we're saved. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. That we need to have a compelling belief that draws us and pushes us to action. And that action is holiness and repentance. In the Old Testament, they were like, well, if we just live by the letter of the law, we're going to heaven. It doesn't matter if our heart is dark. Well, today the trap is, as long as I believe, I can do whatever I want. Because the Bible says, as long as I believe, I'm going to heaven. Well, James says, even the demons believe and shudder. So there's this qualification on belief. What does it mean to believe? Well, it means that you respond to God by honoring his request to be holy. You believe in God so much that you're going to respond to his word and do what it says. That's how you believe. Well, we believe in things all day long. 
People believe in politicians. How many of you believe that Donald Trump is president? He's president. Does that mean we like him? And I'm not going there with regards to politics. But there are some people who love Donald and there are some people who hate him. That doesn't change the fact that he's president. Well, as a Christian, we can get to the point where we simply acknowledge that, okay, yeah, there is a God and there is a word. And you cling to the scripture that says, as long as I believe, I'm going to heaven. But you completely disregard the fact that he's asked us to be holy, that he's asked us to walk with him, that he's asked us to put away and hate sin, and to live with integrity and circumspect with regards to him. There's a big difference. How many of you have gone to e-liches and pushed the stroller around and watched all the people go on the rides? In other words, you can be in the amusement park and not experience things. We see moms do it all the time. The kids are off all on the rides and the mom's sitting there with everything. And they're holding like the water bottles and the blankets and they've got in the whole house is with them, right? <laughs> you see them and they've got everything. Mom, mom has everything in her purse, right? You need something? You got a sandwich? Here's one from last week. You know, <laughs> eat it. It's good. Um, and, and that's how we get. We can be a part of things but not truly experience them. Well, if we're not careful as Christians, we can go into the amusement park, God's kingdom, and think that we're okay just because we believe. But we never go on any of the rides. Think about the example of Peter and the other apostles. That's a great example. Jesus says, get out of the boat, Peter. Peter gets out of the boat. What do the other 11 apostles do? They sit there and watch. Who's experiencing the kingdom? Peter is. But he's doing something that is absolutely crazy that none of us would ever do. Walk on water. Walk on water. And he's not walking on water. He's walking on his faith. Nobody can walk on water. But we can walk on our faith. If Jesus asks you to get out of that boat and walk, you do it, because he's going to hold you up. And we know that Peter sank. Why? Because he started to look at his own problems. He started to get scared. Oh, no, the waves are rising up instead of focusing on Jesus. And as soon as he started to focus on the waves, he sank. And who, who held them up? Jesus did. He grabbed them and said, no, you need to be focused on me. So if you're here today wondering how you're going to do all this, it's Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Jesus is the one who will make you without blame. He's the one who will make you holy. And that brings us to our last point, and then we'll wrap up. But in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul nails it. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But God has taken our sin, he bore it, he crushed it on the cross, and he says, you are my children, I am giving you my righteousness. You give me your sin, I will give you my righteousness. But in agreeing, you agree to give up your sin. You agree to not sin anymore. You agree to try to be holy. 
through the power of Christ and his cross and Christ alone. Because as soon as we rely on ourselves, we're going to be just like Peter and we're going to sink. Remember, when you trust in God, he lifts you up. He lifts you up. So wherever you're at right now, I want to encourage you to give more of yourself to Christ. Know that he's going to hold you up. And it is him alone that is going to make you holy. It is him alone that is going to give you God's righteousness. So if there's anything that's going on in your mind, ask God to give you more of his spirit so you can have more power to overcome the sins in your life. Remember, look for those little ones, the little sins, the ones that nip at your feet. And we all have a tendency to give in on certain places. Oh, we're going to compromise here because it's what I always do. Challenge yourselves to live with integrity. Be honest with one another. Be peace. Uh, be at peace with one another and love one another as he has asked us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your love. And it is in your love that you have blessed us the way you have, Lord. That you've given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. And that on earth you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Including the Holy Spirit. You've given us yourself that we may be empowered. And that we may be protected against the world. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us more of your spirit, that we can walk more and more with you each day, and that you would give us holy reminders minute by minute to seek you, Lord. May we do everything, whether it's at home or at work or wherever in the world, Lord, that it may be for your glory. In Jesus' name.